It is Pentecost Sunday, a day for us to reflect on the descent of the Holy Spirit on the believers in Jerusalem. Before we do that, it's good to remind ourselves that we believe in one God who exists in three persons. We don't believe in three gods, but we do believe in one God in three persons. We're convinced that that's who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a trinity of three persons who are co-equal, co-eternal. They relate to one another in a bond of love, three persons within one Godhead. We confess it every time we say the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, paragraph one, God the Father. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, paragraph two, God the Son. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, paragraph three, God the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's this third person, God the Holy Spirit, who's the center of our attention today as we celebrate Pentecost. And it's also good to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is a person. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we sometimes make it sound as if it's sort of a current uh, moving through the church, that the Holy Spirit is a nice wave of religious feeling. No, the Holy Spirit is so much more than that. The Holy Spirit is a person. In scripture, the Holy Spirit has personality. The Holy Spirit has intellect. The Holy Spirit has will and emotions. Those are all characteristics of a person. Whenever we sing the doxology, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we don't praise two persons, the Father and the Son, and then suddenly praise an it. The Holy Spirit isn't an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. We're told in scripture that it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. You don't grieve an it, you grieve a person. So the Spirit is a person who's involved in our lives. He's part of our total experience of relating to God. The Holy Spirit illuminates scripture and makes the words we read come into our hearts as the very word of God. The Spirit convicts us of sin. The Spirit softens our hearts so that we're teachable and kind and forgiving. And he's the person who's so alive and active in the church. He's the person who gets into high gear on the day of Pentecost. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and he'll enable you to be my witnesses to the very end of the earth. And even before that, as he tried to comfort them in the upper room before his crucifixion, he said, after I'm gone, a comforter will come. I'm not gonna leave you alone. I'm not gonna leave you an orphan, but I'll send the spirit to be with you. And so 40 days after the resurrection, it started to unfold. Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples, saw him taken up before their very eyes. They returned to Jerusalem. They spent a lot of time in prayer. They chose another disciple, Matthias, to replace Judas. But mostly the disciples waited, waited for the exalted Christ to do what he had promised, pour out the Holy Spirit upon them. So 10 days after the ascension was the Jewish feast of Pentecost. So let's hear the word of the Lord uh, about what happened on that day, Acts chapter 
2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violet wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire came, uh, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one of them heard, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, by the Holy Spirit, open our minds, open our hearts, that we may hear your word for us today. And in hearing, we may be nourished in faith, all to your glory, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Pentecost is a Jewish feast that comes 50 days after Passover. It's a joyful time of thanking God for the blessings of the harvest. It also celebrates God's giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, the Feast of Pentecost. And the believers were in Jerusalem, cramped together in a house, a little listless, a little discouraged after seeing Jesus leave them after his ascension, wondering what life is gonna be like in the future without Jesus along. So they gathered in this house. Suddenly, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a mighty wind came from heaven and filled the house, this roaring sensation of being invaded, the, a presence blowing through the house. They saw what seemed to be flames of fire that settled on each of them. Everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. Wind, the life-giving breath of God. Fire, the divine presence of God. Moments before they were sluggish, but now they burst into the street, praising God for all the wonderful things God had done. And even more amazing, they were speaking in languages other than their own. Jews from all over the world had come for the Feast of, Feast of Pentecost. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, citizens of Mesopotamia, Arabs, Egyptians, Libyans, Romans. They were hearing the wonders of God and hearing in their own language. They heard about the events that had just happened in Jerusalem, the amazing news about Christ's death and resurrection these people from all over hearing about God's love and how he sent Jesus, hearing in their native tongue. And they were utterly bewildered, utterly amazed. They said, aren't these followers of Jesus Galileans? They, 
They speak Greek or Hebrew, maybe Aramaic, but we're hearing in our native tongues, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Though others in the crowd made fun of the disciples, ah, they've had too much to drink, had too much wine, they're drunk. I simply want to emphasize the most obvious thing about Pentecost, that when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, when the spirit, wind of the Spirit blew in, there was an aliveness, a power lip let loose, a speaking out about the wonders of God. As one scholar put it, whatever else may be said about the disciples' experience, this at least is clear, the Spirit of God came on them in power. Whatever else may be said, this much is clear. The Spirit of God came upon them in power. A rush of wind, flames of fire. At Pentecost, the church came alive. Wind blowing on the believers, flames of fire resting on them. God's in awe-inspiring presence descended on the church and they were filled to the brim with the presence of God. Having caught the gracious wind of the Holy Spirit, they came alive and filled with this mighty presence, the church went out with vitality and changed the world. There was such a robust presence of God. They overflowed with such praise that some bystanders thought they'd had too much to drink. At which point, Peter stepped forward and shouted to the crowd, listen, Make no mistake, we're not drunk. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. I will pour out my spirit on all my servants. And in those days, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, that was Pentecost. Does what happened that day in the first century church have meaning for us today in the 21st century church? Four of the last six chaplains of the United States Senate have been Presbyterians. The most recent, uh, Lloyd John Ogilvie came from Hollywood Presbyterian Church, served till 2003. He was preceded by Richard Halverson, who was pastor of Fourth Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., and then became chaplain of the United States Senate. I was privileged to meet him. My neighbor across the street in Ann Arbor, Bill Bullard, was a member of the church I served. He was also a leader in the National Prayer Breakfast Movement with Dr. Halverson. Bill told me one day Dr. Halverson was coming to Ann Arbor for an event and staying at his house. I went out in my yard one evening and there he was taking a walk. We shared conversation over a couple of days about life, faith, church. One thing Richard Halverson said that struck me, something he firmly believed is a church isn't something you organize. A church isn't something you organize. He didn't mean a church shouldn't have a building or programs. He wasn't saying that policies and procedures aren't needed, but he was saying those things aren't the whole heart of the church. 
the heart of the church, the soul of the church, the verve of the church is the Holy Spirit. It's good to be organized, organized programs, organized worship, organized resources, organized facility. But it's the Holy Spirit blowing on them, the gracious breeze of God's Spirit blowing through the church that gives the church its vitality and power. It's the Holy Spirit who makes the church come alive, people animated by the Spirit, filled to the brim with the Spirit. He breaks through our neatly planned religion. It's the Spirit who keeps us from being listless. It's the Spirit who won't let us just go through the motions. It's the Spirit who keeps us from wanting things the way they've always been. It's the Spirit who overwhelms us with God's mercy and grace. On the day of Pentecost, suddenly a wind came from heaven, filled the house, and all were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the believers, filled to the brim with the power and presence of the Spirit, went to the ends of the earth, speaking about all the wonderful things God has done. And what they really spoke about, what they really shared, was all about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, having descended on the church, directed attention away from himself and directed it toward Jesus. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. The Spirit-filled church believes that at the heart of things is a personal God who in Jesus Christ acted for our salvation. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Spirit-filled churches live by the conviction that Jesus is the wisdom and power of God, that God raised him from the dead. And this risen Christ now commands us Go, make disciples of all nations, reach out compassionately, love your enemies, seek justice and mercy, joyfully share the good news of God's grace that God is a God who loves sinners. And the church did just that. So much so that later in Acts, it says the Lord added daily a number of those who were being saved the Lord added to their number. So much so that the church grew from that small gathering on the day of Pentecost, grew all the way to the church gathered here at Covenant in Austin, Texas. Have you ever wondered how that happened? How the birth of the church at Pentecost in Jerusalem came all the way to us gathered here on Northland Avenue? How did it happen that within 300 years of Christ, the major cities around the Mediterranean were 50% Christians? How did that happen? It was everyday common people reaching out to people, sharing their faith, gossiping the gospel, friend to friend, neighbor to neighbor, sharing their excitement about Jesus, and the Lord added to their number. All through the centuries, the Holy Spirit blowing his gracious wind, empowering the church, invigorating the church. The Spirit so alive in that gathering in Jerusalem, all the way right down to us here. So here's the good news, the exciting news. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is here. He's present right here within us and among us. 
He's the spirit who points us to Jesus, the spirit who makes us bold for ministry, the spirit who sends us out to serve the least, the spirit who makes us burst with life, the gracious breeze who stirs us to resound with praise and do good works. We're alive because of the Holy Spirit. And we sense that something's happening right here at this church. We sense it. Flannery O'Connor wasn't only a wonderful story writer, she was a great letter writer. She tells in one of her letters how one of her relatives started attending church. He hadn't been inclined to do so. Church for him meant uh, uninspiring music, uh, lousy sermons, and a lot of needy people. But he started coming, and then he kept coming because the worship was, quote, so horrible he knew there must be something else there to make people come back. <laughs> Everything was so bad, so disorganized, so boring, there must be something else that keeps these people coming back. There was. There was. It was the Holy Spirit making that place and that people come alive, a joyful people living out the reality of being brothers and sisters in Christ to one another, the Holy Spirit alive in that place. And here at Covenant, there's something that keeps us coming back. There is, there is. It's the Holy Spirit. I've heard some of you share how you came to be at Covenant. Well, we moved to this area and our plan was to visit six or seven churches, be very deliberate. Covenant happened to be the first church we visited. We never made it to the other six. Or, well, it was a time in our lives when we needed to find a church. We visited church after church after church, ready to give up, came here, and we knew by the time we walked from the parking lot, it felt right. And after worship, we were sure. Or I was invited by a friend, a coworker. I could tell that Jesus and church were important to them. I was invited, I came. That's the Holy Spirit working in all of that. The gracious wind blowing through this people and this place. Do you remember what Jesus told Nicodemus about the Holy Spirit? He said, the Spirit is like wind. The wind blows wherever it pleases. It's unpredictable. The wind blows up unexpectedly. You can't predict it. You can't control it. You can't cup it in your hands. You can't see the wind. But you can see the result of the wind. You can see what it does. It lifts the curtain at, at your open window. It rustles the papers on your desk. Wind flattens a tree. And so it is with the wind and fire of the Holy Spirit. When, it, when we give our best plans to the Holy Spirit, he blows his life-giving breath on them. Is it our desire to be followers of Jesus wherever we live, work, and play? We throw that desire to the wind of the Spirit, and 
Let him power it into life. Is it our desire to better understand scripture? We throw that desire to the wind of the spirit and let him power it into life. Is it our desire to have a unity of fellowship? We throw that desire to the wind of the spirit and let him power it into life. Is it our desire to have effective witness in compassionate ministries? Is it our desire to see new people come to faith in Christ? Is it our desire to have a successful capital campaign? We throw those desires through the wind of the spirit and let empower them into reality. So that people might say, those Christians at Covenant, they're alive, they're real, just get close to that place. It's pulsating with life. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended in power. The church became very aware of his presence. And that's the most basic thing we want to say today, to simply reaffirm we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. When missionaries went to China in the early days of the Presbyterian presence there, they wrote this letter back home. A power has come into the church here that we can't control if we would. It's a miracle for a stolid, self-righteous Presbyterian to go out of his or her way to confess their sin. It's a miracle for a self-righteous Christian to weep and crave the prayers of fellow believers. But that's what we're seeing. It's beyond all human explanation. But here we are. We've seen this power come into the church. And as much as many of us shrank from it at first, everyone who has seen and heard what we have is certain there is only one explanation, that it's God's Holy Spirit manifesting himself. So that now one clause of the creed lives before us. There's one phrase of the creed that lives in us. I believe in the Holy Spirit. What they discovered is that when the Spirit's wind blows to the church, there's confession of sin, believers forgive one another, lives are changed, there's compassion for people, there's confident trust in Christ. Which doesn't mean, by the way, that life in the Spirit has to be flashy and exuberant. After all, a sign of the Spirit is a dove, a dove. And what the Spirit produces in our lives are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Alive in the Spirit doesn't have to be flashy or exuberant, just authentic, genuine. Well, the message of Pentecost is that the church isn't something you organize and run on human steam. And that's really good, isn't it? We don't have to make growth and blessing and mission happen. That's not our job. The church is most powerfully the church when the spirit fills us with his presence.
and we get to be part of an ongoing story for the story of the church is still being written. The church that started at Pentecost is a continuing community of ordinary people who are fully alive. And that should fill us with great anticipation for what's next at this church. Knowing that as we wait expectantly and trust completely, the wind of God's spirit will blow through this church. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a mighty wind came from heaven and filled the house. They saw what seemed to be flames of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh Lord, God, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Revive us. We feel a presence here, but we can always ask for more. We can always ask for more. So fill us to the very brim with your awe-inspiring presence. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>